Thank you. Father, thank you so much that God's work done in God's way never lacks God's supply of anything. And Father, when we think of supply, we always think of money. But Father, it's the supply of the Holy Spirit, the oil, the unction for the function. And Lord, I just give over again today that which you want to say to your people, that which you want to open up for them to see what a great God you are and how you made us. So Father, I ask that you just come and hover in this place, bring your angels to minister. Father, bring up what needs to be brought up. Father, you know the content, you know where you want to go. So I commit myself afresh to you and uh, ask that you just bless our time together. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of this one is actually, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. That's Genesis 1:27. And this week I want to talk about man being made in the image of God. We are body, soul and spirit. We are triune beings. God created a triune man in the likeness of a triune God. And when God incarnated, he took on himself flesh, and it was appropriate that he was incarnated in the form of a man, not an ox or a beetle. 1 Corinthians 11:7, the second half of the verse says, man was made in the image and glory of God. And furthermore, he became male, not female. We have a body which houses a soul and a spirit, and somewhere in there is our heart. Very difficult to do it diagrammatically. So simplistically, we can divide ourselves into three parts. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our bodies are not an accident. We didn't evolve. God created our bodies, and when he did, he made a perfect job of it. I love that story of Lily, wasn't it, that came out of, out of school? When Joyce was up there in Chepstow, and she'd had a religious education session. She was about six, five, seven. seven. And the, the mistress had been talking about evolution. And in the middle of all this, up goes hand, stands up and says, there's no way that we're dissolved from apes, Miss Pantry, and sits down. <laughs> <laughs> so we must not dissolve from apes. Uh, he did a perfect job. With our bodies, we experience the world, touch, taste, sight, smell, and hearing. Our physical body houses the soul and the human spirit. Whatever goes on in your soul determines what you do with your body. That's news to you, isn't it? The body reacts to the thought of the mind. If I fancy a bun, guess what's going to happen? The next thing is my hand's going to reach out and stuff it in. Equally, when I say to my hand, you ain't having it, my hand says it's not me that wants it, but there we are. There's a battle goes on, battle for the soul, there we are. The body reacts to the thoughts of the mind and it expresses the emotions and responds to the decisions of the will. With our will, we relate to others. With our soul, we relate to others and ourselves. And with our spirit, we relate to God. So simplistically, that's the way it is. Uh, our soul is self-conscious and our spirit is God-conscious. 
And Genesis 2.7 says, And God breathed into the clay, and man became a living soul. In Hebrew, this is the word nefesh kayar. It's in the notes, so I won't try to spell it for you, or I will if you want it. Nefesh, N-E-P-H-E-S-H, separate word, kayar, C-H-A-I-Y-A-H, a living soul. Many Bibles these days say we became a living being. It's not correct. It's not our living being that is being saved. It's our soul. Even this New King James says it. I was quite disgusted with that. The action of God breathing into the clay formed a living soul. And this is the first use of the word soul. When God comes to man, he stoops, always. And he stooped in creation and stooped even lower at incarnation when he actually entered the body that he himself had once molded. Picture the Son of God stooping down over the lifeless body of clay, placing his lips against the lips of clay, and the divine breath, the Ruach of God, that's a continuous, outgoing Ruach. It never stops. The outgoing breath, God doesn't breathe in, doesn't have any need to. It's always a continuous, outgoing breath, and if he stopped doing that, we'd just disintegrate. So the Spirit of God entered the clay. And think then what happened to the clay in that instant. It became a living body, eyes, nerves, cells, glands, formed by the breath of God into the clay. So now we have very clearly set before us the three elements of total human personality. From above, the Spirit, the life breath of Almighty God, from beneath the clay, the dust moistened and molded, and the union of the spirit from above and the clay from beneath brought into being a living soul. In a certain sense, the soul is the point of contact, the relationship between the spirit and the body. There is, in a strange way, something in man that reaches up and something that pulls down, and we all know that, don't we? Plato said that there were two horses pulling the chariot of man, the black that pulled down and the white that reached up. That really is the, the root of all inner conflict and turmoil inside humanity. There's something that comes from God and wants God, and there's something that comes from beneath and tends all the time to drag us down and pull us down. When God created man, this potential for tension was there, and when the fall came and man severed himself from God, the tension became very, very real. We all know it, don't we? Genesis 3.15, God warns Adam, and he tells him literally that in dying spiritually, you will die physically. The literal translation is, in dying, you will die. In other words, as you die spiritually, death will come to you. And subsequently, every person was born, was born with a spirit cut off from God. And when we look at what happens when a person dies this afternoon, we'll see the dual function of our human spirit, both to give physical life and to be a spiritual link with Almighty God. As we all know, until we're born again uh, from above by the Spirit of God, we're spiritually dead, though we're physically alive and breathing. Jesus said, didn't he, let the dead bury their dead. Ever thought of why I said that? Uh, they're dead in trespasses and sins. So they bury the body. 
So God took the dust of the earth, literally, literally Adama, from which he formed Adam, which means red, and breathed into this lifeless form the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So the created order is body, spirit, soul. The body, let's have a look at that. Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us make man in our image. This is the Trinity discussing our body before we were created. I want to quote Roger Price at this juncture, and you'll see I've got all bits and pieces here. He's so funny, because he really encapsulated it for me. He said that when he was praying about his talks for the body, about the body, he asked the Lord to show him a picture, and what he saw was the London Zoo. He saw there was a house for the lions, a house for the penguins, a house for the elephants, and that every single house has been designed with the occupant in mind. Roger saw that the lions were caged, but the elephants had a motor around them. No good putting the lion in an enclosure like the elephant. One good jump and it would have been priced for tea, as he put it. When God designed our bodies, he did it with both us and him in mind. Specifically, that his body, our body, might be suitable to contain the Lord Jesus. Because God himself wanted to live in your body. And if you want a scripture for that, it's 1 Corinthians 6.19. the right one this time nice new one. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have from God and you are not your own so body plus spirit equals soul Roger Price again used the example of um, yellow for the body blue for the human spirit and put these two together and you have green which I think is marvelous because anybody who paints knows you can't undo uh, the blue and the yellow, it won't come back. Once you've mixed it, it's mixed. So once a soul is conceived, that's it. It's eternal. The body, as we will see this afternoon, goes back to the dust. The spirit goes back to God who gave it. And the soul goes on to eternity, saved or unsaved. So with your body, you experience the world around you. It's world conscious. With your soul, you experience yourself. It is self-conscious. And with your spirit, you experience God. Your spirit is God-conscious. That's why when we come to look at possessing the land, uh, Martha is the one that's always cumbered about. Martha is your soul. It's always wanting to do something. It's your soul that gets agitated when it can't have its own way. But Mary... Your spirit is always worshipping. You can come to the place where you can wake up worshipping in the morning and you can turn and get into worship no matter what's happening. We had one or two little incidents this morning. Had an incident before I came because the clothes that I wanted to wear didn't go together. Um, and uh, so I had a little incident there. Um, got here and we couldn't get hold of that because the place was locked and I thought I'd covered it but it wasn't. And then someone came rushing in and said, June's been delayed. And I thought, I'm not going to lose my peace. Doesn't matter. Just doesn't matter. It's not important. What's important is staying in a place of peace. There are three Hebrew words for form or create. And I found this interesting when I started to look at this. Bara, B-A-R-A, which means to create out of nothing. Asa, A-S-A-H, which means to take things which already exist and make something out of them. 
and then yatsar, Y-A-T-S-A-R, which is a word which describes what a potter does. He molds the clay. And this word in Genesis is the word to mold with great care. So God takes the clay and molds it with the greatest of care into a human body. There used to be a little joke, didn't there? I don't know whether you knew it, about the gingerbread men. You know, you cut them all out like that. And then you go, you're done, you're done, you're done, you're done. They all get a little tummy button, you know, like that. Uh, but the thing is, of course, that when God is forming and moulding us in our mother's womb, he does it with particular care because he knows exactly how he wants to make you. So however you are is pleasing to him because he made you. As it says in the Wimmicks, I made you. So uh, he takes the clay and moulds it with the greatest of care into a human body. As I've already said, the phrase, the dust of the ground, is another Hebrew word, Adama. And it means red dust or red earth. So you can see where Adam got his name. You also have a scientific statement here, which means that a body is made from the dust of the earth, and we can prove that. 94% of our body is made up of water and fat. Some of us have got more fat than others. <laughs> the remaining 6% of our body is chemicals. Now you like this lot. Calcium, carbon, chloride, fluoride, hydrogen, iodine, iron, magnesium, manganese, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphate, potassium, sodium, sulfur and silicon. A junkyard would pay about £4 for most of us when we're rendered down, you know. Might get a bit more for the fat, you know. Boil that up a bit, make some soap. But it's who you are that makes you valuable. So don't downgrade your body. God has a special purpose for it. It houses, remember, your spirit and your soul. They need a house to live in and your body is going to be redeemed and you're going to spend eternity in it. I keep asking the Lord that I won't spend eternity in a size... But I'll go down... <laughs> I'll go down to about a 12 or something. I haven't got any answer yet. I'm sure I'll be delighted with it. I expect we're all different sizes. Never mind, don't worry about it. So without your body, you'd be a nobody. But don't be ruled by it. We need to get the balance right. It has a high calling. It's for the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians 6.13, you will see this. I already read a little verse from there. He's actually warning about sexual immorality. Could I have the little uh, doodah, right? Because we think we're coming to that. Yeah. Thank you. Isn't that lovely? So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.13, Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both, and both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. So he's talking here about wrong use of our body sexually. It actually goes on to verse 19. Uh, sorry, to verse 13. So don't hate your body. It will... And, and it, it, you will misuse it if you do. You're, if you hate it, 
you'll misuse it. Smoking and overeating are connected with soul problems, not with the poor old body. The body isn't the troublemaker, it's the will. Now what I've put up here, and, and a lot of you know about it already, is, is soul ties. Hands up anybody who doesn't know about soul ties. You all know about soul ties, that's alright then. So what we have here is a godly union and the soul tie of husband and wife. On the other hand, what we have here is an ungodly union. And any, any act of sexual intercourse outside of marriage uh, will cause a, a spirit, soul and body tie to be established. And it's actually an act of worship because God makes the union, the one flesh union, very special between husband and wife and he is involved in that. So when it goes outside of that union, you've got an ungodly spirit, soul and body tie and those of you who know about it, whoever the other people have been with, you get a dose of it as well. So it's quite important to get those ungodly soul ties cut because you're all the while receiving yuck from somebody else, whatever they get involved in. So I just wanted to put those up. When we look at homosexuality, of course, we'll be thinking about uh, what actually happens there. Um, very nasty package. Thank you. That's probably it. Um, when God created us, he didn't create us to take stress. Our body and soul are wounded and traumatized by stress of any kind because we weren't created to take it. We weren't actually created to take the weight. Uh, and a foundation of the healing ministry is to realize that we can be damaged in all three areas. Our body, our soul, or our spirit. And it is important that we realize which area we're dealing with and pray accordingly when we're in ministry. Um, the, the Holy Spirit will often lead you from healing to deliverance, back to healing, to emotional healing, the whole roller coaster. So you have to be listening to him to see where he wants to go um, to look after the folk and heal them up. It's always, the whole thing is about hearing what he's saying. So it's important we realize which area we're dealing with and pray accordingly. And in sexual abuse, the spirit takes the wound and the soul takes the torment. And the body can retain the memory. That is a quite um, a strong area where people who have been abused in childhood will feel a, a, a sensation in their body of the trauma that took place. And it's very real. You can reassure them that it's on their memory, it's not happening now and it won't happen again. And that is usually enough uh, to actually uh, pray off the fear, shock and trauma that the body has retained. But it can be very, very real. So as we move on, you'll see that I'm actually beginning to introduce the link between the need to understand ourselves and knowing the scriptures in order to fulfill the healing ministry that God's given us because it's pointless getting people healed and then leaving a vacuum. Absolutely pointless. That space must be filled with the knowledge of God, otherwise something else will fill it. It's a law. You know, if there's a vacuum, and it's not filled with good stuff, then the enemy will come in. And he comes to kill, steal, and destroy that which you've just won. So there's two things always happen. One thing to get free, another thing to stay free. And you have to be vigilant to stay free. Remember, we are in a battle. 
God's really everything I look at is reminding me all the time that we're in a battle so we have a body which should be used for God and presented to him for his service uh, Romans 12 1 and 2 says present your bodies therefore a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is your reasonable act of worship or service there are things that I do every morning and this is one of them I present my body a living sacrifice the actual scripture says holy acceptable to God which is your reasonable service and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind why that you may prove what is that good acceptable and perfect will of God God has got good things for us but we take some persuading so we must look after our body and understand how glorious it is Psalm 139 will tell you all about that so we should glorify God with our bodies that means you are able and permitted to look good ladies this is the bit I wanted to come to this morning it's ever so interesting what's happened this morning dress to the glory of God without getting into worldliness and don't misunderstand scripture 1 Peter 3 1 to 4 where Peter talks about you know not displaying yourself with um, too much stuff the women wore their money in the hair <laughs> so that's what he was going on about don't be ostentatious don't go into the way of the world if you're married please your husband don't be sexually provocative be modest in dress you may now start to get your ripe tomatoes not too short and not too low necklines or trousers uh, I've been very moved to say something and none of you are actually in the trap this morning I noticed you're all modestly dressed and I thought how lovely none of them are going to think <coughs> she's talking about me because when I put this top on this one I thought I'm nearly showing my cleavage here I never do that I'm trying to hitch it up to hide it <laughs> I can't teach one thing and do another no, no, not too low, not too, and none of these, these low trousers, I mean there's, a, there's some lovely Christian youngsters that I know that are like bean poles, that you can nearly see their pubic hair. That is not honouring to God, and the crease at the back, I do not want to see. I don't know if I'm the only one, but beware about fashion, remember who's behind it, and we can be glamorous without showing all of our anatomy really we can girls my husband used to say when I was married if I wore anything too low I'm not having anybody else looking at my goods that was the way he put it <laughs> so he wouldn't let me wear anything too low I'm glad he wouldn't it meant that he didn't want somebody else ogling his missus here comes Telsa so find out what suits your figure type and wear clothes that flatter you ask Telsa she is a fashion expert and she'll help you and if you ask her nicely she'll do your colors as well dress as well as you can for the glory of God don't do what the world does which is to dress to draw attention to themselves it's a seduction industry you know at the end of the day believe me it's a seduction interest industry I know I had thousands of pounds worth of clothes in my wardrobe I dressed Jaeger and I dressed to kill so I know it's taken me a long while to get back to 
wanting to dress nicely without feeling that I'm being provocative. And God has brought me till I can actually wear what he's asking me to wear and feel comfortable. Don't go around thinking how I look. Once I'm settled, I'm in it. Telsa was just so good this morning and Joyce. I mean, I got up, I had in my mind what I was going to wear. Yellow trousers and a navy blue shirt, um, coat dress. Simple. The trousers had been washed. Legs. Crinkly material. I thought, I haven't got time to iron them. Put them on, they look such a hoot. You've never seen anything like it. All pushed, pulled up underneath. This is all they're going on the thing. Um, and so I thought, no, Lord, I've got it wrong this morning. Uh, so I said, okay, what do you want me to wear? I kept getting the impression of this little top. Isn't it glorious? Oh, pounds and pounds, wouldn't it be? It's a Winsmore, so, and it's, it's fitted, it's zipped up the side. I mean, it's a quality piece, isn't it? Six pounds in the scope shop. <laughs> Free trousers and a blouse from the same shop years ago. That one was new, one pound fifty. Um, <laughs> but the thing was that, of course, I came down and I've got two blouses, this one and an orange one, and I'm saying to tell, so which one, what do I do, how do I do? And she gives me the eyeball there and she says, no, that one. So I put this on. She says, now you need a scarf. So I right, well, got a scarf, go up. Has this all right? Yeah. So I got the nod. Look, is it? <laughs> I'm 71 next month. So it's okay. Because God wants you to, I mean, I said to the girls, I said, I'm sorry, I'll let my body go for so many years, I can't do much with it now. <laughs> but I'm trying to make up for lost time. Because I didn't have this teaching, you see. So look at all you youngsters, you can all be lovely. But not seducing, not seducing. That's what the whole thing's about. This low bit and the low bit, it's all about seduction. Not good. And of course then the girls wonder why people jump on them. I mean, wow. Well, somebody said to me about the fellas being jumped on. I thought, that's a different thing again. Things have moved on since I was young. I won't go down there either. Right. The human spirit. Zechariah 12.1 shows us that the human spirit comes from God. We're just looking at it because people often say to me, where'd you get that from then? Zechariah, Old Testament, towards the end, 12.1. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. You have to search for some of these scriptures, but they're there. That shows us that our human spirit comes from God, so we're both earthly and heavenly at the same time. Our bodies form from the dust of the earth, and our spirit from above causes the tension, an upward, downward pull. So when does God give the human spirit to the body? There is a view that the human spirit comes into the child at its first breath. Um, that is, that after it has been born. And this used to be widely held in America that this was the case. I'm not sure if it still is. Where they held that the baby in the womb was not a living soul before birth. They believed it was a body and it could move, but it, they didn't believe it was a living soul until it took its first breath. So you can see what will logically follow from that. It's all right to get rid of it, isn't it? These people would say that abortion was not necessarily wrong because we're not dealing with a living soul. They would say it may be morally wrong, but not necessarily wrong. 
The second view and the one I hold is that God places the human spirit into the human body at the moment of conception when the sperm and the egg come together. That's the moment. Therefore the child in the womb is a living soul and it follows that to take away that life is actually to commit murder. If I see a woman in ministry and it transpires that she has aborted a baby or babies, I will bring her gently to see that this was a premeditated act which ended the life of a child. And this usually results in the person concerned asking forgiveness from God and then we ask the Lord if he would let us know the sex of the child and then we name it and commit him or her to Jesus' care and take communion. Thus closure is made. It's so important to bring closure on traumatic events in your life. If we don't, our past becomes our future. We cannot get away from it. So we have to come to the place where we say, I'm making closure on this thing. It's not disregarding what has happened any more than forgiveness is saying that the event didn't take place. I think some people find forgiveness so difficult because they think it means I've got to forget that, that all this happened to me. Um, and really they're after a, a bit of uh, vengeance. But it, forgiveness does not mean it didn't happen. The purpose of doing this is healing and wholeness. And as an aside really, it also applies if you've lost a loved one and you weren't there to say goodbye or to tell them the things you wanted to say. Closure needs to be made. Uh, very, very powerful. One of the things I learned many, many years ago, um, so simple. There was a lady whose mother, the last she saw her, she was being carted off in an ambulance. And the child never saw her mother again. Well, mum obviously was taken seriously ill. And she'd gone through a life with this thing. So we went through this procedure. Years and years ago when we were living in Paddock Wood. And... Um, I met her some years later and asked how she was and she said she was fine. And I remembered this incident about mum. And I said, oh, you know, how's that? Oh, she said, well, that was finished when you prayed. And I really saw then the power of God to heal these things. If we will let them come to the surface, he'll deal with them. Most of the time is we won't let it. We're hanging on to it and wearing it like a cloak. But that's okay. It'll get you in the end. So the, the, the abortion issue, um, it usually results in great peace. And as I say, we do take communion. And if this has spoken to anyone today and you want prayer, please don't leave without asking uh, myself or someone else to pray for you. There's nothing to fear or be ashamed of because Jesus has done a complete work and it's ours to come into. We have brought the communion with us so that if it's needed, we can discreetly bring it out and deal with it. So don't go away thinking, oh, I want to get that dealt with. Right. So Hebrews 4.12 tells us that there is a difference between the soul and the spirit and likens it to dividing between joint and marrow. And joints are the hinges between the bones. Inside the bones is the marrow and in the marrow is the life. The bone is alive if you have marrow inside it. So the human spirit is like the marrow in the bone. It gives the body life and that life is seen in the soul. So your actual bodily health
Right, okay. So the human spirit gives body life and that life is seen in the soul. Actually your physical welfare is a reflection of what your spiritual welfare is like. Because it is the spirit that gives life through the soul to the body. Uh, Watchman Nee calls it the in innermost man, the inner man and the outermost man. Uh, and, and actually how well you are is a reflection of your spiritual a situation and growth, how well you are physically, because it will reflect it. So the stronger we get in spirit, the more we'll be able to go on and be fit. And other people who look at us and wonder how we are like this. So the spirit is said to be life-giving and the soul is said to be living. The soul contains the life the spirit has given it. And that's why we're described as being dead in trespasses and sins before we're born again. Our soul must receive life from the spirit or we're walking around dead. Can I have that one now, dear? This is the best um, representation any of you who have been to LL Ministries will know it. Ooh, I've ever seen. It was Peter Horobin's and he gave it years ago. And it's obvious, spirit, soul, body, the nature of man has created the nature of man fallen, the whole lot round into Satan's kingdom. I wanted to colour these, but I wanted to speak to June first because I didn't know what would um, actually be all right to go on the acetate without either making a hole in it or, um, you know. Anyway, so there we are. So there we are, fallen. And that's how we stay, spirit and darkness, soul and body over in Satan's kingdom. And then we're born again, and oh, whoopee-doopee-doo, it should be all right, shouldn't it? Well... Not really, because here comes another one. Here we are, darling. Chelsea? Yeah. Here we are, sweetheart. Next one. There's three of these little jobbies. Because now we've got two wills at work. So what we've got in the carnal Christian most often is the spirit is born again, but the soul and the body still carry on exactly the same. And the pull across into temptation is strong. So we rarely actually line up spirit, soul and body. And the process of lining up is called sanctification. As we increasingly allow Jesus to pull the leg and we get Satan's grip. You know, the little boy who said, you heard the story of the little boy whose mummy left the sweeties on the table while he went, she went out. And she said not to touch those sweets while she was out. Well, of course, when she came back, all the sweets were gone. So she said, I thought I told you not to eat the sweeties. He said, well, mummy, it was like this. Jesus pulled one leg and Satan pulled the other and Satan pulled harder. So you've got... <laughs> Temptation in a nutshell, isn't it? That's exactly it. Okay, so the third one is this one, which is what unfortunately many of us settle for, and about what uh, possessing the land is all about. We settle for spiritual influence through our flesh or our soul. So we can get all worked up about things while we're at a meeting. Yippee deppy deppy do, but it's our soul. There is no lasting change and we're still going on doing the same things as we did before and we're not happy campers really at all because we know that we're falling short of what Jesus won for us on the cross. We're just not coming through to it. 
And the only way to do it is to settle who's going to be in charge. And of course, that's got to be the Holy Spirit. So we pray a prayer of alignment that he will align us, spirit, soul and body, with himself. Because in the days that are coming, we will not win. if You can't take ground from the enemy if he's got ground in you. And if your soul and your flesh are over here in his kingdom, you can't take ground for him. He's going to laugh at you. So uh, that's a spirit-soul battle. And one huge problem we encounter shortly after we're born again is the fight for supremacy. That the soul will put up the moment the spirit is enlivened. I think we covered it before, before man fell, his spirit was in the ascendant position and his soul served his spirit and his body served his soul and he was in harmony with God completely. All came from above, from man's union with God, total alignment like we saw in the first picture. And when he fell, his spirit lost its contact with God and the soul became the head, the decision maker, a position it was never designed to take. Because the soul houses the emotions, it's largely led by what it feels. When we're born again, the spirit comes in and wants to take control. And the soul doesn't give up without a huge struggle. And this is the whole thing. Struggle that we have between the supremacy of the spirit and our feelings. We have to come to the place where we're not governed by our feelings. We're governed by what we know. So no matter what it looks like, we're governed by what we know. When I'm play, praying for someone, and I know that God has touched them, and they haven't received it, I know that they weren't open actually to allowing God. Because I can pray a simple prayer and you will get set free because I know my God. But if you're resisting at a deep level because you're holding on to something and you quite like it the way it is really and actually all you want is the sympathy for the situation you're in, diddly squat. And I regret to say I can look at people and they say, oh, I need ministry. And I think, no, you don't, darling. You need a good swift kick up the butt. But I'm too kind to do that. Because I know that God will bring them. I just know he will bring them. So he doesn't need my assistance with the toe of my boot. He needs me to just lovingly say, I don't think that's what you need, sweetheart. That's not, that's not what you need. But I can give you this, which will help them make that choice. That's why education is so important for the Christian. You cannot make a choice unless you understand what you're choosing about. You can't. I can tell you till the cows come home that this is okay or that's okay. But you need to know for yourself. You need to know in your knower. So when we're born again and the spirit comes in, wants to take over control, the soul doesn't give over without a huge struggle. So you've got two wills at work, the will of the spirit and the will of your soul. How many of you, and I don't want to show of hands, have experienced God asking you to do something and have battled hard and long before you've capitulated and done it? That is the earthly and the heavenly pull. It's like a tug of war, as I said. Jesus on one leg and Satan on the other. And the soul must be made to bow to the inner man of the spirit. And this is what the, that's why I said it's tough stuff, the school. We've got to make some good choices. 
Salvation and sanctification are processes. We are saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. And there remains much ground to be taken. That's the process of sanctification. And before we leave the issue of the human spirit, let's just look for some scriptural proof that babies are aware spiritually in the womb. In Luke 1, 39-44, we see the meeting between... Mary and Elizabeth. I should have brought her. I know what pregnant is, Mary. <laughs> now Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Mary's about, I don't know, three or four days pregnant, however long it took to get wherever Elizabeth was from where Mary had been. And Elizabeth is about six months into her pregnancy with John the Baptist. And as she sees Mary, and before Mary has actually disclosed her news, Elizabeth said the babe leapt in her womb. Her words are, who am I that the mother of my Lord should visit me? She knows in her spirit who Mary is carrying. And Mary hasn't opened her mouth yet. Mary at this time was probably under a month pregnant, and Jesus was apparent to the spirit of John the Baptist. So I don't really think there's any more need to prove that the human spirit is put in at the point of conception. I'll give you a little break for 10 minutes now. Come back. I haven't got a clock in here, about 12-ish. Okay, right. Thank you, girls. So the last thing we looked at was the location of the spirit. And now we're going to look at the location of the spirit and the soul within the human personality. It's, you can't get hold of these things, can you? You can't get a grip on what you're really like. You only know that you have this conflict and you know that there are parts of you that are not the same. I mean, we could say, yes, I know I'm spirit, soul and body, but when it comes to where's my heart and all this, it's in there somewhere. So the spirit is located in an area deep within man, somewhere medically below the diaphragm and above the pelvis, there's like a hollow area. And John 7.38 says, out of his belly will flow rivers of living waters, speaking of the spirit of God. And the Greek word is koilia, K-O-I-L-I-A, that which is hollow. It's a hollow, I mean physically there is a hollow area between our pelvis and our ribs, isn't there? This whole piece. And it's the same word that is used to describe the concave arch of heaven. There is something heaven-shaped within us. The belly. Almost everything that really matters starts here. Butterflies when we're nervous gut feeling about things. This is the area we need to guard most carefully of all the areas of our personality. Job 32.8 said, there is a spirit in man. 
something you need to know and the spirit of God operates in man on the spirit of man through the contact between God's spirit and man's spirit and through that contact comes understanding in spiritual issues understanding doesn't come by knowledge coming in through here it comes through your spirit and it's translated into understanding sometimes I will say to the Lord I understand in here will you translate it so as I can explain to people what it is that you're actually saying to me you get a revelation you know what you know but you can't say it in scripture understanding is almost always spiritual it's not soulish it isn't mental ability isn't that good so here we're told there is a spirit in man and on the spirit of man the spirit of God acts and through the interaction of God's spirit on man's spirit is something called understanding understanding is not education lots of highly educated people have no understanding at all Derek Prince says educated fools are creating the most trouble in the world educated unregenerate man is more dangerous than uneducated unregenerate man so the Bible's not talking about education I think he said uh, uh, you get an uneducated man and he steals a railway car he said educate the same man he'll steal the railway you see, that, that's what does to us. The more educated we get, the more clever we get about pinching that which doesn't belong to us. Understanding is in the realm of the spirit, and man's spirit is illuminated by God's spirit. I just want to go over to Job 32 for the moment, 18 and 19. like me is verse 18 for I am full of words the spirit within me compels me indeed my belly is like wine that has no vent it is ready to burst like new wineskins there have been times uh, recently where God's given me so much I thought I shall burst but I have to get it into a some form of understanding otherwise I'll spray it all over you and you won't understand a thing so literally full of words and the spirit of my belly is pressing me the spirit of my belly must have expression and in Matthew 12:34, Jesus says out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks now this is a double-edged sword this one because out of the abundance of your heart either is coming grace <laughs> or is coming something not so good when you're under pressure it's, a, it's the, the abundance of the heart that comes out when you read the word heart in scripture think of the area we're talking about the belly your innermost being you can't put your finger on it but you know it's there and now the soul we're looking at the anatomy of man that God has put within us we have a human body spirit and are a living soul humans are always called souls in Genesis 35 18 uh, it is said of Rachel when she was dying in childbirth that her soul was departing for she died and when that crisp little telegraphic message clicked over the icy waters of the North Atlantic that fateful night of April the 14th 1912 for the first time in history the newly agreed upon international distress signal was used SOS save our souls 
the Titanic was on her way to disaster. Am I all right or am I making lots of pops? I think I touched it and it's not in the right place and I'm making lots of pops. Thank you. We have seen that the Hebrew for soul is nefesh. The Greek word for soul is suke, from which we get our word psyche, psychological, everything with a P-S-Y-C-H comes from suke, P-S-U-C-H-E, and the Strong's reference for that is 5590 if you're interested in it. The soul is the seat of the affections, will, desire, emotions, mind, reason and understanding. The inner self or the essence of life and the soul is not dissolved by death. Body and spirit are separated but the spirit and the soul are distinguished from one another. When the radio operator sent his first SOS he didn't mean save our immortal souls from perdition but save our whole persons or our lives. And this is how unbelievers would see it, save us from drowning. The human soul is the real you, your personality, your self-consciousness. Remember the body is world conscious, the spirit is God conscious and the soul is self-conscious. Personality is resident, thinking, decision making, the will is contained in the soul. Your human free will resides in your soul and your soul is immortal. It will go on to eternity and when it departs it doesn't go into space and disappear, it goes somewhere and we'll see that this afternoon. Give you a cliffhanger. Your soul is like a glass bowl. You all have a particular shape which is unique to you. Got some here. So girls, when you're choosing a husband, don't think you'll change him because there is a basic shape and you can't change it. Marry the one, the man that you love. God does miracles but he won't change the basic shape. Now here we are, look, we'll have a look at some of these. Oh, 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 oh. Crunch, crunch. This one's me. This is me. I'm this large, heat-proof, no-nonsense Pyrex dish. You can do your roast in it, it'll take everything. You can see what you've got, no frills, large capacity, and it will take the heat. I see my friend there, long-standing, laughing at that. She knows about all these things. Yeah, so there you are. Look, you see, see what you've got. Nothing to hide. See right through it. Holds a lot. Takes the heat. Where was my next one? Mm. No, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. This one's small, no frills, neat and compact, nothing angular. But don't expect too much from this one because it can't hold very much. And it's not see-through either. Hides itself a little bit, that one. So there we are. And I'd probably say, why can't I be like that? Because I admire them. They don't stick out and upset anyone. Why can't I be like that? Some are more flowery, distinct shape. Bit unstable. This one here, slightly unstable. Air of class, uh, but not a good travelling companion. And it's unstable because though it's very beautiful, it very easily topples over. Draws attention to itself. This one, delusions are grander, really. It wants to be like that one, but it's a little bit of Woolworths, I expect. <laughs> it's got an air of class, but it isn't, you know. 
like a silk purse and a sow's ear, you know, something like that. Sweet. Sweet. But you see, it's not out the same stable as that one. That's crystal and knows it. Head in air, that one. It's delusions of grandeur a bit, you see. Reasonable capacity, stable. It's got an air of class, but it isn't. This one, it's got delusions of grandeur, really. Look, it wishes it was bigger, but again, it's not going to let anybody see. And very small capacity, look, I'm a very pretty little thing, but I'm actually not useful for much. I'm shallow. Nuts. Nuts. To you too, dear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, and here we are, look. Carrot bowl. Everyone looks at the carrots. They notice not the bowl, but the carrots. If you put carrots in the ornamental bowl, people would say, what are you doing putting carrots in that beautiful bowl? This one is designed for carrots. Heat-proof, always there, stable. You can trust it, functional. There you are. A bit of fun, that, isn't it? Roger Price does this one, and you, you can't tell what he's picking up and looking at, but it's really funny, so I thought I'd do the same thing. So everyone has a particular shape of soul, and maybe you recognise yourself. That was just a bit of fun. Because, of course, the first thing I did when I... was you do, don't you, being self-centred, listened to the tape years ago, was thought, I wonder which one I am then, you know. And this time when I did it, I thought, oh, a few years on, I'm that one. <laughs> No, I can't, you know, probably something like that, smaller, you know, straightforward, see what you've got, heat proof, yeah. But God has enlarged me when I was in distress. <laughs> Did you know that's the only time you get enlarged when you're in distress? Psalm 4 says so. We want a quiet life and God says, no, no, you need a bit of stretching. Enlarged, enlarged, that's it. So the soul draws from the desires of both body and spirit. Let's take the new Christian. He may be kind, gentle and loving, and he gets these from the spiritual part of himself. The same chap might be gluttonous and lustful. Where do you get these from? From his body. Here he is, body plus spirit equals soul, and his body has affected his soul. Any characteristics that come from the senses are to do with the body. Sight, hearing, smelling, touching, tasting. Once you are born again, your spirit is reinvigorated and you get new life. And that's the spirit affecting the soul. The spirit can't get enough of the Lord. The soul boasts in the Lord. Mary said in Luke 1, 46 and 47, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Saviour. She's saying, because my spirit has rejoiced, my soul magnifies. Spirit first, followed by its effect on the soul. So the born-again believer is joyful and satisfied, enjoys the word, fellowship and worship. This lasts but a short time, usually, before the soul is crying out to do what it used to. It does not like the constraints passed, placed upon it by the new life, and the battle begins. The soul can be filled from both directions and has accustomed itself to filling itself via the appetites and desires of the body. Now the temptation comes to indulge the flesh, literally the sarks. There is another word for this, this, this bit is literally the flesh is sarks to tune into pornography as he did before he was a Christian. So what decides the direction that his soul is going to be filled from? And the answer is it's decided by his will. The will is the pivot 
the central part and the will decides what goes into your body and your soul and the soul can be filled from either direction it's all dependent on your will you can continue to put rubbish in and you'll get rubbish out but if you decide to live a life sold out for Jesus you'll be strong in spirit doing the exploits spoken of in Daniel 11.32 the will is absolutely pivotal in the Christian walk I will, I won't there is another element here if this young man had been into pornography before no amount of willing would have made any difference because there would have been a compelling demonic force within him compelling him to do what he was doing so we can't just straightforward say well he must choose not to do it he can choose a way but actually the spirits that are, are spirits of lust within him will want to fulfill their purposes through his body that's what demonic forces are about if you've got a spirit of envy guess what it's wanting to do it's want to envy through you if you've got a spirit of bitterness guess what it's wanting to do it wants to be bitter through you if you've got a spirit of hatred guess what it wants to do it wants to hate everybody through you that's why we have to have our little chimneys swept to get these things out and then we can see actually what's the person and, and what's a demonic force you can you get to know because there is the compulsion people will say I just can't stop I just can't do anything about it I've fasted I've prayed I've sought the Lord you're looking at the demonic it's compelling so that's just to let you know that God isn't unreasonable because the moment that you line yourself up with the Holy Spirit's will within you because he just don't want to be watching porn you know um, the whole thing shifts over it's not a matter of you just making that choice the Holy Spirit when you make a good choice comes in behind you and empowers you to walk that's what part of his role that's why he's there and just before we end on this subject we earlier spoke about the tension between the spirit the soul and the body which flowed together before the fall which out without tension and once the spirit lost contact with God and we fell tension was the result and as we've seen the soul is the center of this in it there's a little thing called conscience our remaining little bit of God consciousness God awareness in our fallen nature every human being has this con with science knowledge conscience with knowledge same as science fiction <laughs> it's fictional knowledge that's why we don't go there we have inbuilt knowledge of right and wrong we do actually know and in John 1 uh, sorry John 8 1 to 9 um, we see the conscience in action let's turn that up for a moment always a good story this one and this was where the woman caught in adultery was brought before Jesus very likely with no clothes on and when they, they the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery and when they'd set her in the midst they said to him teacher this woman was caught in adultery in the very act so they go on to tell him what and they said it to test him that they might have something of which to accuse him but he stooped down and wrote in the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear or see and then he said 
Who is without sin among you? Let him throw the stone at her first. And you know the story. Being convicted by their conscience, verse 9, they went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. So conscience, they had it. And one, as soon as he said, okay, you know, let him, it was without sin, looking at this rather gorgeous, tasty piece here, standing with no clothes on, he read their hearts. And their consciences pricked them. It says it in Acts, doesn't it? Were or not our consciences, they knew. Unbelievers know that God has standards. The upward pull and the downward pull. Prior to my conversion, I lived entirely to myself. My soul totally dictated what I did and how I acted and my body followed. I drank, smoked and was adulterous and I knew what I was doing was wrong. Nobody needed to tell me that what you're doing is not right. Even out there, um, I was not very popular. But I chose to follow the dictates of my bodily appetites. What about the believer? The Holy Spirit strengthens, as I said, the conscience of the believer. Romans 9 and verse 1, you will see. The Holy Spirit and the conscience working together, so our conscience is strengthened. However, the Bible tells us that it is possible to have a seared conscience and a weak conscience. And 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 3, I won't read it now, is talking about believers and mainly about teachers. They started out teaching the Bible and went wrong somewhere. Obviously they weren't open to correction either, as Paul describes them as having their consciences seared as with a hot iron. Anyone who's burnt themselves severely will know that searing with a hot arm will result in there being no feeling in that part of the body and it forms quite um, a lump, doesn't it? And you just can't, no sense there. So these people have become insensitive to the Holy Spirit. And it's possible to have a weak conscience. The church at Corinth would be a good example of this. In 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 9, Paul talks to them about it. And Corinth was a centre of idolatry with numerous pagan temples dedicated to the Greek and Roman gods. We looked at it, didn't we, when we looked at the other New Age stuff. With the Corinthian church made up of people from these backgrounds, learning to live together in harmony was most difficult. And Paul's letters, therefore, are instructions to the young church on living in a pagan environment. As a result of having lots of temples and sacrifices, there was a great deal of meat available which had been presented to idols. And it could be said that the priests had the best meat in town because they all did this. But Paul warns, be gentle with those whose faith isn't as strong as yours. You may be able to eat the meat which has been sacrificed to these idols, but not all of you are strong enough to do that without stumbling. In other words, they were weak because their conscience was functioning in the old and not in the new. We always used to joke and say we knew all about Easter and we could still enjoy hot cross bun. Um, those of you who know what it is, the hot cross buns are making cakes to Tammuz. The cross on the top is uh, cakes to the Queen of Heaven. It's all involved with the pagan. It's a pagan festival and the, the, the tea on the top of the hot cross bun is tea for Tammuz. And you see it in Ezekiel, I think, where it says, have you seen what they're doing, son of man, making cakes to the queen of heaven? 
So I know all about Easter, but I feel like a hot cross bun, so it doesn't cause me to stumble. But when we first found out, we were very careful because we didn't want to cause anyone else to stumble. You know, if they say, oh, can't eat a hot cross bun, you know. So I can offer food, eat food offered to idols because my conscience is not weak. So the whole issue revolved around the degree of faith of the, of the believer involved. I think maybe what I'm touching on here I'll come into more in homosexuality because I've been wor working on that. Um, it's all wound in there with the practices, the pagan practices, and, what, and that is what the homosexuality thing comes forth from. So we'll have a look at that next time. Interesting study that. So a weak conscience, not yet fully armed and dangerous with the Holy Spirit. I know that as I go on with the Lord, my conscience becomes more and more sensitive to the things of the Lord. And I trust, my darlings, that you can all say the same. So there we are. We shall uh, finish a bit early. That's good, isn't it? Am I on time with that? Mm -hmm. So we just have a prayer then and give you a little bit of time. Father, thank you. Father, I do pray that the words that have come forth will come forth with clarity, Lord, and not in a muddle. Father, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Right, go for it. He just spoke to me about something this morning, and I wasn't sure if it was him at all. And I said to him, if it's you, will you remind me? Just did. What he reminded me of there, we were looking at soul ties there, weren't we? Um, what he said that he wanted me to do was to just blanketly break every ungodly spirit, soul and body tie between anyone in this room and whatever it is the ungodly tie is with. Um, now any of you who've worked in the healing ministry know that you don't do it like that. Unless God tells you, you do it one at a time. Um, but for whatever reason, he wants to demonstrate his power this morning and set you free. Uh, so if you just close your eyes, I'll just pray a simple prayer over you and break the power of it all. Father, thank you so much. Father, I just ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will break every ungodly spirit, soul and body tie that links anyone in this room to anyone living or dead now in the name of Jesus. And I command anything unclean to loose off right now in the name of Jesus. You just loose them now in Jesus' name. It's not their portion. You loose them now in Jesus' name. And I ask Holy Spirit that you come in to that vacuum. You come in and seal those ties. Don't let them rejoin, Father, in Jesus' name. If anyone has got confusion, Father, I pray you'll lift it off them right now in the name of Jesus. Any spirits of confusion coming down generationally, I draw a bloodline over all of you in the name of Jesus. And I command all confusion, mental insufficiency, difficulty in concentration, I break the power in Jesus' name. You lose her. He's not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And I speak that over you now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Yeah, Father, thank you so much that it's freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Thank you, Father. Would you bring us back refreshed this afternoon and ready for the next bit. In Jesus' name.